0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, the podcast that is passing wisdom to the next generation of athletes, coaches, and parents to transform leaders on and off the court. In our episode today, we get the opportunity to interview Matt Wagner. Matt is a student at Park College and also is a baseball coach for Total Baseball 7U and 8U travel ball team. In our episode today, we talk a ton about, you know, different tips for coaching, but really more importantly, the experience that Matt had as a player and how he is now impacting and bridging that back to the kids that he is coaching today. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast, Matt. I'm thrilled to have you on and have our discussion around, you know, how coaching has really reinvented where you want to go in life. I'm really curious and excited to have our conversation around that. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, coach. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you got it. So let's, let's dive here. right in. Um, I think the, the first question I'd really love to ask is just like, what kind of impact did sports have when with, for you when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, I mean, sports and I'd say baseball, especially growing up, everything and nothing has really changed, you know, but um, I started playing baseball at a pretty young age, maybe around five or six. I played a little soccer and then throughout my life, never played basketball, always did with friends, but football and you know all, all the stuff that you put kids through if they're trying to find a sport they love. But I mean, by probably eight, nine years old, I was strictly playing baseball. It was six days a week. I loved it. And um, that lasted all the way through my sophomore year of high school. After my sophomore year, um, I got into some personal stuff and then decided that maybe it was best for me to step away from baseball so I could take care of myself. Worked out pretty well because the year after, the season got canceled for the boys with uh, COVID. And then um, by the time I was a senior, I was actually asked to go back and play on the team. But I was working and I had other things going on. I picked up golf. And it's really funny because it was. It took three years for me to get back to a baseball field, which, I mean, it's just so crazy to say out loud because I never thought I would stay away from the game for that long. But... <clears throat> I was invited last season to go out and play for a team in the PCBL, which is a Sunday league out here in LA, called the Whalers, with a, a few buddies of mine and a guy I work with, and it just my my love for baseball never left. I mean, in that period of time, my greatest baseball moment occurred when my Dodgers finally won the World Series in 2020, um, and I stayed connected like nobody's business. But the feeling I got stepping back on a field after three and a half years of not being there. Dude, it, it was nuts. Everything rushed over me, and I've had the luxury to go back and play. Actually, just yesterday had my first ever walk-off hit for that team, and it Let's was go. like, dude, I feel like a kid in a candy shop. You know, It's, it's amazing. But um, overall, just the impact that sports still has on me but had on me growing up, it shaped who I am, my personality, my <laughs> confidence, everything that I love really stems from sports.
0: I love that. Yeah, I mean, we got a little uh, friend in the back joining us on the, on the oh, show, three, but of them. three, three little friends on the show. But, you know, kind of going into that, you know, taking that time away, and you touched on it a little bit on on the appreciation and what it really felt like. But I've kind of had a, a similar thing where I, went, you know, in college, I kind of like took a break from sports, you know, sports were my life through 18. And then, you know, kind of just paused and, and took a little time to just kind of be a kid again. And, and escape. But then when you come back to it, you have another appreciation and and layer to it. And I'm curious, you know, could you elaborate and expand a little bit more on what that feeling is like?
1: Yeah. It's funny because I'm trying to just be present put myself there. And just yesterday, like I said, I got to do two things yesterday that put me in that place that reconnected me to my ground, to my childhood, to my love. Right. I got to play. I got to play baseball and the feeling that I get when I put my cleats on and I, you know, I wear those high pants and I pull my socks up and I jog out in the field to start stretching. I mean, it's nine fifteen in the morning, College of the Canyons in Valencia. It's probably sixty three degrees out and sunny, and I am just jogging through center field to go do my stretches. And dude, just this—it's like a waterfall of emotion. You feel everything from head to toe. You feel yourself almost, in a way, be lifted feel like you weigh six pounds, but you're also right there, so present, so grounded emotionally. And there is something so beautiful that just happens. All of a sudden I'm present. And for the three and a half hours I was out there, there's nothing else going on. It's me, it's baseball, and I I have nothing I'd rather be doing. And it's really funny too because, you know, the level of competition, like growing up, I was playing at the highest levels with the, you know, some of the best kids in America. And then you get to high school and everything is so bang, bang. And it's like, you know what? I'm here with a group of guys. I'm the youngest guy out there. Maybe guys in their mid twenties to mid thirties. And this league is, is nonchalant. It's low key. It's fun. But for the guys who are out there, they're all in the same boat that I am. And all we want in those moments is just to get together and win. And it feels like every game out with those boys is game seven, of the world series, man, because we make that atmosphere and it's beautiful. But, um, When you have that, which is amazing, I get to leave the field at 1250 and one o'clock. I'm warming up with the team that I coach. I have a a team of seven-year-olds and a team of eight-year-olds at a travel program in Simi Valley. And these kids are, I see so much of myself in them. They love baseball. There's nothing else that happens in their lives but baseball. It's all they talk about. It's all they want to be doing. And it's really cool because I was just the same exact way at their age. Maybe they're a a lot better than I was. but. it is really amazing. And then there's what happens when I step on that field as a coach. I'm wearing shorts. I've got my Hoka sneakers on. I've got my bucket hat. And there's a totally different feeling that comes. You have a sense of, I don't want to say, you have a sense of, uh, it's a different importance, a different purpose. Your purpose is no longer about you. It's no longer about trying to win this game for yourself and for your teammates. It's about guiding these kids through what they love, to teach them how to do it right and to teach them how to properly love the game so that they can for as long as possible. And then once you have that and you've got all four, you know, you got your bases down, your tents built. Yeah. You go out there and you want to win a game. You know, these Sundays and these tournaments, it's exciting, man. You have all these people who come out here just wanting to win, right? These kids, they go to bed, they wake up, they want to win. They want their rings, you know? So it's, um, it's cool how much of the same principles apply and how much I get out of being out there with them. That is similar to what I get of being on the field of my own, but it's also beautiful when you get to analyze the differences and you get to analyze the different things you get and the reward of knowing that you're making an impact on these kids' lives because they really do look up to me and my, I I would never go without saying my co-coach Santana Munoz, this guy is, this guy is awesome. This is his um, preferred career. This is what he wants to do as coach. And you can tell because he puts in the hours like nobody's business. He's more patient than anyone I've ever been around. And he is just one of the most amazing men I've been able to share this time with and achieve goals with. And I mean, he's only 22 years old man. The guy is just, he's awesome. He's awesome.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, that's epic. I really love that you shared kind of both you know, perspectives that you share on the same field, right? Because it's the same field where both things happen, where both the, the joy that you get from playing the sport, but also coaching the sport. And you brought up an interesting point that, you know, once you become a coach, it doesn't you know, become about you. And I had a, a really interesting conversation with my JV basketball coach who came on the show, a couple months ago, and he was just talking about like, how as an athlete, like he really struggled going from being after he finished playing professionally, because he was so, you know, entrenched, you know, I'm. it's all about winning all about the process the grind. And as an athlete, you kind of have to be a little selfish to continue to grow. And so that shift right to becoming a coach and kind of becoming a servant and then making it about them. So they have that same love that you do, you know, when you are playing in a Sunday league, and still loving it and playing it because they can build connections and friends and they're still staying, you know, active, which is incredibly important. How has that, you know, experience as a coach, you know, you've touched on a little bit affected what you want to do now as a young person going out into the world and figuring out, you know, what do I want? To, how do I want to spend the rest of my life?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, dude, that is the perfect question to be asking because I'm going through changes of majors in college right now, hopefully moving out and going to school in Santa Barbara next year. And there's, there's a lot up in the air. And so, um, yeah, we had discussed this a little bit earlier, but um, sorry, off camera, I thought for the longest time I wanted to go into finance and be an advisor. You know, I see this career that, that tailors to someone who is personable and someone who cares and wants to help. And, you know, there's money involved, and everybody, you know, everybody wants money, of course. But doing this, especially, and seeing what it is like to be taking something I love, but also balancing it out with professionalism and making it a job where it isn't about me. And it isn't about me going out and just doing everything for myself. It's all about other people, you know? Um, The things I love to say that I love to do to help. Doing it in this sense has taught me that, you know, I don't need to go chase the bag at twenty. I don't. I'm already doing that in a sense of having two separate jobs and already scouting out jobs down there. You know, I've served tables for four years at a restaurant, and um, you know, that's not what this is about for me. And when I see how good I feel, I don't want to say how happy I am. I don't want to say how fun it is, but how good it feels to be rewarded in this way, to see how much time and patience that it has taken me and my fellow coach to put into these kids to get them not only better at baseball, but to be better men and to see how quickly it pays off, but also what it looks like in the landscape of what's almost been a year. You can't match that rewarding feeling of sitting behind a desk and helping people manage their money. You know, I'd love to help someone retire five years earlier, but that's less important to me as much as it is to help someone really go out and get what they want. And, um, doing that has just been great. So no, I don't really know what I want to do, but having this alternate form of, um, of a job that wasn't just working in a restaurant and seeing the differences of what it is to be able to just get someone somewhere, right? Achieve the goal for each and every one of these kids individually, but also as a team, and then set new goals and reach higher places that I did not think were achievable when I started, maybe even didn't think it was achievable a month ago. Just to be able to get there and the process and just showing up to the field every day, all of that stuff, it's really uh, reshaping my perspective on life and how I can move forward. Not to mention that what we're doing is teaching these kids what it will be like for them to play at a high school level. I I treat them like adults, but also understanding their eight, taking the time to be patient, to control my temper, to do all these things for myself so I can enhance their experience, that has taught me a great deal of what it is to be a communicator and how to work with kids too, because there will come a day that I want to be a father. And I know that the year that I've had coaching these kids will help me so much in my communicative process with my own kids.
0: So that's that's really cool as well definitely no the the process of learning how to become a better communicator as a coach is it's an it's essential and i want to touch on kind of something that you were you know talking about a little bit earlier on that point is something that i don't really think has brought, been brought up on the podcast at least not too much is just the the feeling that you get from coaching it's just like not mm-hmm. something like n- none other right you know like i you know i was thinking about this earlier this year at some of the challenging days right some of those days where you know kids aren't listening or you know whatever they whatever it is and i'm just thinking to myself you know, I, I would way rather deal with this and and this challenge of being a coach than be doing anything else. And it's just like that experience, that feeling, and and helping you know players go from A to B, getting preparing them to become better high school players. Right? For me, like when I was a freshman, sophomore coach, preparing them to play JV then varsity basketball, and just that taking them to places where they don't think they see themselves. And I think sometimes you know it's easy to forget as because we're both young coaches, you know, like how much of an influence and impact we can have in like. You know, sometimes I think I assume that they know how to get better and like how to really, you know, do the fundamentals. But that's like our job. We're teachers of the game. And it's like just it's a pure joy.
1: So that that last thing you said is really funny because these kids that I coach, they're really, really talented and hardworking kids. And it's it's wild because, you know, it when you see it at eight and seven. Uh, But then, you know, the days where these guys come out, so. I'll, I'll focus. I've got two groups. I've got the seven-year-old group and the eight-year-old group. And what's funny is, is like the seven-year-old group, 95% of the time, these guys come out with the same energy and that makes it really easy because they're focused and they're ready to go any game day, almost every practice. And, you know, that's great. So they show up for my early practices at four 30. Right. So I, you know, we practice with them and typically, I mean, it's not about better or worse. That doesn't matter to us. And, you know, it. There really isn't much of a disparity either way if you you analyze it, but they're just less challenging sometimes because you're like, okay, let's say you boot three out of five ground balls. I don't care. If you kept your glove down, if you stayed focused and you got up to do it again, you hustled to get the ball when you bobbled it, that's fine. That's not what we're looking for is for you to be perfect. We're just looking for you to want to be here. And if you don't, you don't have to be, and that is okay. But when you show up, you understand that you are required to be focused and that you're required to work your butt off because that's what this is. Whether you're seven or the kids in the program who are 14, the expectations are the same for the very reason that the building blocks, they start now. You want to play high level. We're going to teach you how to play high level and it could be hard at this age, but if you endure it and if you see it for what it is, which I think 99% of these kids do when you move on to different programs and when you start playing baseball, even when you're 10 or 13, you are so far ahead emotionally and prepared than any other kid around you that the game will be a lot more fun and you'll enjoy it a lot more because of what you learned now, right? And so then there's the eight-year-old group, and they are wild card. These kids are great, and on their good days, they're fantastic. But on their bad days, they are like – I mean their heads are so far in the clouds. It's like how do I pull you back down, man? You know You're eight years old. Sometimes they're, you know, on the field, you forget how old they are because they're so composed. Other times you're like, geez, man, it's like herding cats. And so this happened Saturday where we come out for the tournament. We have games at eight and 10. And it's just funny to me because I'm like, man, eight years old. I'm like, I don't know how you come out here at 7am, not super fired up. You know, I was like, I I've come out here before I actually last weekend. I mean, for Sunday league games, I came out on two hours of sleep and that was my choice. I decided to go out and party in Hollywood till 5am. But listen, man, you would never know that when I showed up because I showed up full of energy and spent 10 hours at the field, giving it 150% knowing I only had 50% to give. Right. And so, you know, I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm even at 20, just the difference of 20 and eight. I'm like, you guys, when you step on a baseball field, no matter what happened before, you should feel so excited to be here. You know, that's, that's why I lose the connection. That's where it becomes challenging for me is like, you are so freaking lucky. If I can go back and be your age and do that again, I was like, I mean, I get chills just talking about it. I would do it in a heartbeat, dude, heartbeat, you know? And so, and that's coming too. when I say that I'm sacrificing the little bit of time I get to play because if the eight-year-olds or the seven-year-olds have a game on Sunday and so does my Sunday league team. I'm not playing, I'm coaching. That is where I've given my full attention and priority to. And I don't regret that in a heartbeat, but it makes it really difficult when I come out and these guys are listless. And I'm like, gosh, you're eight, come on. So those days are the most challenging for me. Because um, it's funny, we went one and one that day. And when we won, I'm like, you know, so what? We didn't show up in time to do it right. So I don't care that we won. We show up yesterday and we have a, like, you know, it's a seating on Saturday and then you play your playoff games for a tournament on Sunday and we lose six to one in our first game. But I swear, dude, I was so, I felt great because these guys showed up all on time, which rarely happens. They were extremely focused and they did everything right. So I told them, I said, you know, I say, I say this to them sometimes. I'm like, if you do three things on a baseball field, you'll never lose. If you hustle, if you communicate, And if you play catch, you're never going to lose a baseball game. I said, we did all three of those things about as good as I've ever seen us do them today. And we didn't lose. We got beat by a team who did those three things better. And I said, the beauty of that is that when we show up to practice on Tuesday, we learn that just because we've done something at our best doesn't mean that it's the best we've got. It gives us something to work on. So the next time we show up and we do all three of these things, we're going to make today look like a bad day. But for today, the improvement is unbelievable how we can go home, take what we learned yesterday, sleep on it, come back ready to go. I'm like, I love that. And so, you know, it's that full circle thing, right? I leave the field that day after a tournament, you know, being in the field for eight hours this weekend, which isn't super long, but it's a good amount of time. And I'm like, hey, I feel fantastic. You know, I go and I get pizza with my coach after. And we're just talking and we're like, you know, it's funny because we want to win so bad. But the days like this where we get beat and we keep fighting. You know, I tell them, one of the greatest things that I've told them that we've we've brought back up over and over the season, I I tell these guys, you know, I love dogs, dogs keep me present. And I'm like, what do dogs do? You know, they fight for everything. If a dog wants a treat, they're gonna get it. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. So I tell the boys, I say, fight like dogs, right? Whenever we get into a, a late game and we need to keep going, When it's coming down to who's got the most energy and who can bring it, I'm like, we got to fight like dogs. Because if you want it bad enough, nobody's going to stop you from getting it, you know? So, yes, yesterday, even losing 6-1 in a tournament game, we still fought like dogs. And I live for that, man, because these kids show that they care and want to be there. And that is so – it is so full circle for me because it reminds me why I'm doing this.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. And that's a really good point when you bring up uh, talking about, you know, the sacrifices you make from your own, you know, playing times, like I feel the same way, like I could be playing pickup basketball (laughs) on, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning, sometimes I have tournaments, you know, sometimes, you know, we got practice, and I'm not able to. But it's something that I tell my players, uh, at least, you know, once a week, right, I wish I could still put on that jersey on just like you, I wish I could still play in these tournaments. You know, like, but I, I am also fortunate and grateful that I'm a coach now, but just taking advantage of that opportunity to be there and play and play with your buddies and friends, like there's just nothing quite like it. I think, you know, just helping them take advantage of that is, is really empowering. And then also just looking at, hey, you know, we we played, you know, you, we hustled, right? We communicated, we played catch and we got beat, but that's an opportunity for us to continue growing, right? We, we know we can play this well, but I know that there's a ceiling higher, right? And that's the beautiful part of a coach is to help continue to guide along players and teams to get them to reach heights that they didn't even know was possible, right? I think Davo Sweeney, he is the, you know, the head coach of at Clemson
1: for a those that are fans. listening.
0: And, and, not a <laughs> fan, bro. Yeah, he, he talks about like, to be an overachiever, you have to be an overbeliever as a coach, and you know I just to that. like really instill that belief belief into your you know players, and so that's something I've always tried to do is is do it in an authentic way because they can tell if it's cheesy, but you know just to make sure that you you do your best to kind of keep challenging them and have those standards so they keep evolving as people and players.
1: I love that, and all. I when I say not a fan, I'm just playing around. I'm a I'm yeah, a huge State so fan. And so yeah. it's like, you know, Ohio State, Clemson, like we fought for years. And you he said the rivalry, that. but on a real note, that guy is someone who went to a program who'd never had success. And I mean, as a college football coach, you are doing everything. It yeah, is everything. so much harder to be a leader of young men who are my age, who want to go and make it, who don't all have the chance to make it, who aren't getting paid millions of dollars. Who You know, this is triple A, essentially. You got to still get there. And what this guy does to develop young men, oh, it's unbelievable. And it shows too, because he's had winning teams and he's won multiple national championships in the ACC, which is so hard to do. You know, that school, when he came in, they didn't have the same ability and the money, like the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the Georgias to go and get it done. But he has, and his reputation is actually fantastic amongst the likes of other guys who have more ego and aren't as, um, aren't as player centric. They're, Self centric, you know, they care about how they look. He, I don't get the vibe that he cares about how he looks, he just does it for the players, and I love that.
0: He does it for the I players. Who are that. some of your biggest coaches, coaching influences?
1: I'm, I mean, I'm going to start with a really obvious one and a really great one I, Dave Roberts, right? So, um, I, I love Dave, you know, there's a lot of controversy always when there's a manager for a team. And I'm a Dodger fan and talk to everybody. Um, the impact that Dave Roberts has on the players that he coaches—it's—it's it's like nothing I've ever seen. You know, you hear about it in the press, and then, I mean, just last week I met a Dodgers reliever who uh, was with our team for three years. His name was Josh Raven, and he might come actually start coaching at our program. A really cool guy. But of course, I mean, dude, I had about forty-five minutes to pick his brain and ask him all the questions of yeah. the Dodgers I got to watch when I was twelve to fourteen, and that's you know, that's a jackpot right there. And um, first thing he said, he's like, dude, best guy I ever played for. You know, the, the way that he is able to lead men, it's unbelievable. And his patience, his composure, his professionalism, his knowledge, it's amazing. I idolize living the heck out of that. Um, yeah, I mean, Dave is the obvious go-to for sure. Um, you know, I really think about my teams and the guys that I look up to when I think about managers and coaches. But outside of the teams I love, I mean, Greg Popovich to me, what I love about Greg, and it's really funny, you know, we struggle a lot with the fact that even being, dude, you you wouldn't be able to know, but even as coaches of teams at seven and eight years old, the amount that we get thrown at us from outside sources, I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't know who's going to be watching this podcast. Um, We struggle so much with the overinflating opinions of others seeping into our heads when we're trying to coach. I don't think Greg Popovich has ever considered another's opinion when coaching. I don't think he's ever taken that and, you know, thought beyond anything he can't control. I think he just does what he does. And it's funny how a man with such a strict demeanor is so approachable to his players and so amenable and also has this great little side to him that shows that he is a human being with a job to do. And it's like you know he's created this atmosphere in San Antonio, five rings. The only thing that matters there is team. That's it. It's team, team, team. If you don't get with the system, you don't get with the program, you're gone. I think about the four most successful players in San Antonio, the three most successful players and one who came on later. Your big three of Manu, Parker, and Duncan, right? The three guys, they never played on the court at the same time ever. None of them ever averaged more than 35 minutes a game in their career. I mean, Tim Duncan, who's first ballot Hall of Famer, so is Tony Parker. And I think Ginobili will get in too. But these guys had one goal and it was team. You ever seen any of them three do anything selfish on a court or off the court? No, it's all about each other, man. And then you throw in that fourth guy who came in to help them win their last two rings and Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi is all about the team. He's all about, he's so quiet, man. He's all about Getting the job done, and he's done it three times in his career, and that's pretty outstanding.
0: No, nah, it's really outstanding. And you bring pretty up a good point in, in cultivating that team teamwork, that camaraderie, and and just you know losing self because you have to have some you know selfishness to constantly drive and and get better as as an individual, but you have to also give up part of yourself, whether, you know, it's in baseball and you want to hit four, but really you got a couple other guys who are a little bit better hitters and you're going to hit six or seven. And so right. I'm curious, you know, how do you have some of those conversations with, you know, your younger players and I coach, you know, some 10 u sometimes. And a lot of times it's, you know, for, for lack of a better term, whether they're outside sources or parents, right. A lot of times those parents are feeding them, you know, like you should be batting one, you should be batting three, you should be playing short, you should be playing center. And so, you know, I'm actually learning from, uh, uh uh, a director of mine, he's like, you need to get them away from your parents as soon as possible, so they can hear your voice, calm them down, and so that's one thing I'm definitely learning in, in the youth sports world. But I'm just curious how you approach it as well. So
1: with the kids, you know, um, <clears throat> we we've made two things very clear to them: whatever order you hit in lineup or whatever position you play, it doesn't matter. If you're on a baseball field, you are a baseball player, and baseball players play all positions. And they do whatever is asked of them, of their coaches and their teammates to make the team win. Make it very clear now that once you step on the field, your needs are no longer our priority. And it's hard to tell that to a seven year old. But the craziest thing is, is that 90% of the time they get it. And the times they don't, they just ask. They'll be like, what the hell are you talking about? And you know, I, I think we're very blessed with the group we've had, that the kids themselves seem to always be loving whatever's going on. They understand exactly what this is, you know? I, and it, it comes to it with the little maintenance rules, right? So if you ever see someone walking on a field, everybody's doing a lap together. If you do the lap and it's not all together and you've got some guys finishing 20 seconds ahead of another guy, you'll do it again. When you go to your bag to get water, you know, we do that a lot in practice, right? You need water breaks. You don't walk back without a teammate. If we're picking up baseballs after a drill, Everybody picks up balls together and waits at the bucket together to go back to their spots. And if I see you walking again, you'll run a lap. So things like that, which to them just seem like, oh, coach's rules, right? It's instilling this unbelievable sense of teamwork and of that. You know, I've said it a thousand times to them. I don't see any of you individually out here. And I really don't. I couldn't pick a favorite because they're all the same to me. You know, I like that we don't have our last names in the back of our jerseys because it wouldn't make a difference. You wear what's on the front of the jersey and that is super, super, super instilled with them. And there is also definitely like this, like good cop, bad cop I have with my coach. And I'm totally, which I never thought I would be totally the bad cop, dude. Totally the, when it's business, it's business. But that's three quarters of the time. The other quarter, I'm the silliest, goofiest dude out there. And these kids know that there's a time and a place to have just an immense amount of fun with me because I mean, I'm a total entertainer, man. I love it and I love to see them smile and I love to see them happy and you know, and it's, it's really cool because in balancing that out, it's trying to find myself amongst being a disciplinary and also knowing boundaries, right? How far can I go to where these kids no longer respect me, love me and understand me, but start to fear me and everything goes in and out of their heads. And I've tried to play a really fine line so I can get the most out of them. And so they can, you know, man, all I'm thinking about is what their lives are gonna be like when I'm no longer in their lives. I need to make it, I need today to be an opportunity for me to make their lives better than it were they were yesterday, whether they know it or not. And that's why the comprehension is a really important fine line because you never know what a seven or eight year old is gonna understand or what they're not gonna understand.
0: That's really, that.
1: um, that's really important.
0: That is really important. And I think as we transition kind of the last two minutes of our podcast, the ninth inning, I'm curious, you know, if there was one thing that, you know, that these seven and eight year olds are learning from you and and your co-coach right now, what would you want them to remember in 10 years? Wow,
1: that's a deep question. That is a deep question. I don't want to get this wrong.
0: There's no wrong answer for this one, though. That's the hardest part. No, I know. But there's oh, – wow.
1: Um, one thing. I would just want them – honestly, and this one actually doesn't cut as deep. But if there's one thing I want for them in 10 years is no matter how they're involved, to just relentlessly love the game of baseball. That's it. That's my. I, I feel like there's two answers here. There's the baseball answer, and there's the human being answer. The baseball answer has nothing to do with how they play, how long they play, how they stay involved. Is just that they stay involved. If I got to talk to one of my players in 15 years and he was doing what I'm doing right now, I mean, I, that would that would bring tears, man. That would make me so happy. Um, I would just want them to love this game like nobody's business because it is the thing that shapes who I am among. Everything in my life, even all other sports, baseball holds a spot that no one will ever take. And that's just, I would want them to love this game like nobody's business. As people, I think the one thing that I'd want them to take from me especially is to just be good to others and have faith in others. That's it. I think part of what it is to be with your teammates is to trust that you know when we're all on the field together with two teams, that there's 22 other guys out here who have your back. To learn the importance and the family values. You know, I don't have a big family. I have, uh, you know, I've got two houses where my mom lives in one, my dad, my stepmom, and my stepsister live in another. And then my sister's out of the house. But, you know, my parents divorced young. I didn't grow up with like the, we didn't go out to eat together every Sunday. Like that wasn't my family, right? We were all, it was a little spread out. And I got great culture with all different parts of my family. But the tightness and the trust and the willingness to learn from others really came from baseball and my teammates. That's been my family. I've I've always say, you know, like I'm not a very religious person, but baseball is my religion. That's it. All my core values and beliefs have come from the field. And I just would want them to be able to take what they learn with their teammates on the field and their coaches as their leaders to apply to every other aspect of their life to be good to others, to trust others, and to have something that they love so much that anything could happen to them where they would just be okay with who they are, you know? So, yeah, that's probably it.
0: Absolutely. No, that's a wonderful mission to continue living on with. And I can share a similar, you know, aspect. I, you know, every every winter now or Christmas time, you know, me and my baseball buddies, we get back together, we won a section championship together. And you know, like, those are my friends, those are my family, you know, we talk, and we still we still text back and forth. And that's something that can never get taken away from us. And that's just like, something I'm appreciative of baseball and, and basketball as well as just the people that we get to meet through it. And just being good to people and learning about teamwork and camaraderie. And so all of that is, is definitely resonates a ton with me and you know do you have any you know final parting words because for our you know the coaches and parents that are listening to this podcast
1: I mean I tell the parents when you find a coach you love you let them coach that's it and if you don't you leave yeah, and you go I find another that. because you know I think especially like with at seven and eight year olds you know like it's that's hard cool. for me to be able to say to the parents like hey I don't know how good you know you've got it because I don't know how many other 20 and 22 year old kids are taking the time out of their day to find a second job to treat like it's the most important thing in their lives that you can trust with your kids. And for the coaches, man, the parents, the kids are the clients. The parents are the ones who are paying in a lot of the time, right? Do what you think is best for the kids, no matter what, take all the heck that comes from them, crumble it and throw it out. And treat the kids in the way that you know you're going to leave them better <clears throat> than where they started. None of this is ever about you. Lose your job if you have to, to keep the best interest in the kids. That is the only thing I have to say. Because if that's the case, then you're not in the right place. Luckily, I am. I have that's a, a – great I mean, point. Our program director backs us for everything and says, you know what, man? Keep doing what's best for the kids and what you know is going to send them off well. But keep coaching. I'm going to find a way to continue to do this as long as I can. Keep freaking coaching it's the best
0: yeah it's the best yeah do his best for the kids that's a great place to leave off on um if there's any way what's the best way for people to you know reach out and connect with you if they want to you know have more conversations about sports and oh, coaching dude, you 100%. know i know we didn't talk too much about sports but he could talk sports all day i know it yeah it's uh and
1: we you know we got a lot of time for that in our, in our, in our leisure um i mean hit my instagram it's uh it's my name so it's matt with a period dot Wagner, I mean, I'm constantly posting stuff on there about sports and like anyone who ever wants to talk. Like I, I mean, I'm at, like my, my Tottenham Hotspur is my favorite football team. Like they play in 15 minutes and I go to a bar in Pasadena. And there's 70 of us who watch this team play in London, typically lose and it sucks. But um yeah, I love it. And I play, you know, I play in a, I have a basketball game tonight. I have a, a slow pitch softball game tomorrow. I've got a pickleball match on Thursday. So you know, if you ever want to get involved and do anything like that, just hit me up and get hurt.
0: Yeah, this guy literally embodies, you know, what Bridging Impact is about, like continuing to impact and playing sports, you know, well beyond. So I love it, Matt. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you I'm so excited much. to release this conversation to the people. Me
1: too. Thanks for talking.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact podcast. We'd love it if you would like, subscribe leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on it's the best way to help us grow we appreciate you for doing that we'll shout you out on social media I'd also love if you connected with me on social media let me know your thoughts and this is why I do it I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world so stay tuned stay subscribed Cheers.